Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone else in between, to the Dogs Program. We are the Defenders of Government Schools, hence we're called DOGS, which is the Dogs Program. We've been around for decades because government schools, whom we are the defenders of, uh, need defending. Um, we came up to an election, so we'll be talking a little bit about the political parties and their position in relating to the funding of um, the schools. But we're travelling around the world, as we often do, uh, reviewing what's going on in public education, not just in Australia, but on the planet. But today, as I say, we're talking about political issues and, of course, we'll be finishing with our great state school at the end. Just always finish on an up note because there's some amazing things going on in state schools around the country and we'll be highlighting just one of those, as we do every week. But we're starting this week, because Jane's back from holiday, with her press release. Press release number 700 and what, Jane? 92. Cool. 700. So what's going on today? Well, it's been a very, very interesting week in Australia. For years and years, it was almost impossible to get information into the major media on uh, the actual funding, the disparities in funding between private and public schools. And then suddenly, this week, in the Fairfax Press, on the front page, with the main article, we actually had some very interesting news and facts and figures. What we found was, and this is our press release, state aid to religious schools is an expensive failure. We pay for them, make them into public schools. Let's take them over. Now we're paying for them. We're more than paying for them. They get more than public schools in our money. In 1964, Menzies told taxpayers we could not let Russia and Sputnik beat us. So then we had to provide libraries and science blocks for religious schools, which in those days were not publicly funded. In 1969, the coalition started per capita grants to private schools. And then in 1972, to get the Catholic vote, Whitlam spruiked a needs policy, became a greens policy as we know, and he poured money into church bureaucracies, not disadvantaged schools, and some dollars trickled down into disadvantaged public schools. The dogs could only communicate the state aid manipulations through paid advertisements in the press. And we took the press to the press council many times and it didn't make any difference. By 1978, 
the needs policy was a joke. Wealthy Catholic and Protestant schools always had to be paid off before any poor schools received a dollar, and it's been like that ever since. Peter Tannock from the Schools Commission received papal honours and George Pell later received a Vatican posting. Well done, thou good and faithful gatherers in of taxpayer dollars. Many needs policy, Gonski reports and socio-economic bean counters later, the number crunches not only tell all, but are actually getting some media coverage. The Save Our Schools think tank has been producing numerous research papers, the latest of which is entitled The Vast Majority of Disadvantaged Schools Are Public Schools, while the Gonski Institute at the University of New South Wales has produced a paper on equity. But the news of the week came from Jordan Baker in the Fairfax Media. Quoting from the research done by Grattan Institute School Program Director Peter Goss, with the front page headline on Wednesday, May the 15th, 2019. And this is it. Private school funding growth outstrips public schools despite Gonski. It's now official. Many private religious schools in Australia received more from the public treasuries of Australia per capita than public schools. And a bit later, I won't give you all the details now, I'll let Robert tell you all the bits and pieces and the actual facts and figures which prove that public school funding grew by just $155 a student over the decade after accounting for student numbers and teacher wage growth, while private school students each received $1,429, and then that's what the analysis of the Productivity Commission's data by the Grattan Institute has found. These are official numbers. These aren't the inventions of people like the dogs. So uh, Robert will tell you more about this later. But the dogs say this. What did they expect? But instead of looking at the rottenness of the whole idea that private religious schools should receive any state aid at all and confronting the administrators and proud clerics in their hallowed halls, the shortfall has been blamed on states' reluctance to contribute enough to the public sector, putting pressure on the winner of Saturday's federal election to ensure that the states do not shirk their obligations or use what Plibersec calls accounting tricks to inflate their budgets. So that is very interesting indeed. But both the Labor and the Coalition parties with Plibersec and Tian took the cue of blaming the states. It passed the buck. It's not their problem. They rushed to talk about state government accounting tricks. And uh, even Tian said that he was going to do something about the states. And Pimasek said, we held state governments to account last time we were in government. We'd do the same this time if elected. Sorry, Tanya, 
not good enough. But what's the dog's position? Because seriously, we're fed up with the Lib Labs. And the Greens are interesting because they talk about free education, but I wish they'd take the next few steps. Dogs say nothing has changed since the Whitlam government tried to solve the state aid problem in 1972. Did they seriously think these silly politicians that they could outwit the servants of a multinational religious corporation that has been playing power and money games since the 4th century AD. Now, in 1972, a dog's delegate who went to Canberra to the Carmel Commission, who were talking about needs policies and equality of opportunity, this delegate, which between you and me was me, asked Carmel why he could just not say that if children were to be given an equal opportunity, then the institutions themselves, the schools, had to be open with no entry requirements, fees, religious, academic, ethnic or any other tests for either students, teachers, cleaners, etc. Now when I said this, there was an embarrassed silence. Father Burke gave me a watery blue-eyed stare and Professor Tannock shuffled his papers. Peter Carmel and Jean Blackburn looked poker-faced into space. A couple of years later, at a conference in Canberra, I heard Carmel bemoaning the fact that he could not recommend that all schools should be equal because it was not in his terms of reference. In other words, he didn't have the guts and neither did Gonski either to question the terms of reference given to them by mealy-mouthed politicians. And that's where we're at in education in Australia. There never has been and there never can be a genuine needs policy for Australian children until all the schools are genuinely free and open to all children. No political party has, been, has put this into a Gonski Committee-style terms of reference. Even from Julia Gillard, Gonski received a no-school-can-lose-a-dollar terms of reference. Genuine equality of opportunity requires a system, a genuinely well-resourced public school system, before we can get to first base economically and socially in this country. We found this out in the 19th century, and we've forgotten the lesson. But we need people with the intestinal fortitude to take on the church lobbyists and would-be aristocrats, you know, these, these parents that want to buy special... Uh, opportunities for their children I call them would-be aristocrats and say that state aid experiment has failed dismally again as in the 19th century we now more than pay for an expensive sectarian socially divisive system take the overfunded religious schools over open them up to all 
rationalise the excessive duplication of facilities and then start talking about what we can do for the disadvantaged and disabled genuinely because they have a right to be enrolled in a public system. And this is because education for all children is a right. It's never a charity, whether that charity is religious or otherwise. The wealthy will always have the finance to buy something special for their children in genuinely independent schools and let them do it. That's their problem. Perhaps it's a problem for their children too. But it should not be a problem for the taxpayers who actually pay their tax. So that is our press release 792. And when it comes to the facts and figures of the GOSS research, I'll leave that to Robert to explain to you. Thank you very much, Gina. You listen to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Thanks very much, Gina. Very comprehensive history lesson in what's going on in Australian schools when it comes to funding. Um, we'll be returning with the dogs after after a bit of music. <laughs> Gavotte there on the harpsichord, or as a friend of mine used, used to call it a harpsichord. Um, it's a wonderful instrument that breaks up things um, after our history lesson. Um, we're going from history to contemporary politics at the moment because I don't know if you've already voted or if you're about to vote this afternoon. I don't know. Um, but I think it's worth pointing out, um, what, what, highlighting what we were talking about last week and the week before, and what Jean was hinting at. Um, we have two major parties vying for your attention so that they can run the country and govern us into the future. And we at the Dogs are interested in what their education policies are. And the question being put, indeed, uh, by Deb Haynes in reading the um, report by the Grattan Institute, the question she puts is, which of our two major political parties will fully fund public schools Neither in, of them. into the future? Neither of them. Jeannie, is that correct? Um, Jean's right. Um, the answer is none. Um, no, they're not. Um, there is now a consensus amongst the Liberal and Labor Party not to talk about funding state schools properly, which is a very sad development. Um, there's a couple of reasons for this I might be going into, but just to describe what's happened, um, as Deb Hayes says, you'd be forgiven for thinking 
that policy related to schooling is not a major issue in Australia. Oh, but it is. It is. In the lead-up to this election, which is going on probably as I I speak, scant attention has been paid to it during any of the leadership debates leading up to it. No one talked about education at all. Now, this is by mutual agreement. This isn't, this isn't by accident. This is because each of the parties, Morrison's and the Shorten's, have decided, no, no, we won't be talking about that. Too hard, basket. It's interesting, isn't it? Now, one of the reasons could be because the education policies of both the Liberal and the Labor Party have largely converged around some key issues. Now, both the Lib- Labor and the Coalition are promising to increase funds to schools, but neither is prepared to fully fund government schools at all. Under a coalition government, public schools will get up to 95% of the schooling resource standard by 2020-27. Under the Labor government, they will get 97%. So neither of them will be funded properly. Either way, you're talking two elections away, and to what degree public schools will remain underfunded up until 2027. But the coalition and Labor plan to fully fund all private schools. So both the Coalition and Labor Party have both decided that private schools will get 100% of the money which they have decided that they're going to give to them. Well, Robert, let them do that and then let's take them over because we're paying for them. Well, I'd say let's not. Um, There's a couple of reasons to say let's not at all, and I I would definitely say take them over. But some private schools um, already don't have this problem. Um, They're already fully funded. In fact, some of them are already overfunded. They're given more than 100% of what they're entitled to by the federal and state governments. And by the way, I'm not talking about what parents contribute to private schools. I'm just talking about what we, the government, contribute to private schools. When I say we, the government, I'm sort of a bit naive, but yeah, that's we, me, you, the the government. (laughs) So, Labor is promising to put equality and redistribution back on the agenda in areas such as tax reform and childcare policy, But its fair funding for Australian schools policy fails to close the funding gap between what the government schools get and what they need. And yes, Labor is promising to put back 14 billion cut from public schools into the Coalition Gonski plan and will inject 33 billion of that during the 2019-22 term if elected. But a very large amount of that is going to, well not public schools, it's going to private schools. This is, this is just deeply disappointing. I mean this is, Two major parties vying for our votes, sort of not talking about something because they're both not doing the right thing. Now, there are certainly differences between the coalition and Labor education policies. The main being that Labor will outspend the coalition across each education sector from preschools, and we've also, we also, I would include childcare, up to universities. However, neither major party has put forward an education policy platform at all. Instead, they presented a clutch of ideas that failed to address the key issues of concern in education, such as the dismantling of a contrived system of school comparison generated by NAPLAN and the MySchool website, and tackling Australia's massive and growing equity issues. Now, what, what this particular author, what, what Deb is referring to here, is the fact that in Australia, since 2001, we have gone to being one of the most equitable education systems in the world, which means that basically it doesn't really matter all that much how much your parents earn in terms of the education you get, to now where we are one of the most inequitable countries in the OECD, which means it really does matter how much your parents earn when it comes to the quality of education um, outcomes you're going to get. 
whether your parent, if your parents are rich, there's a chance you'll get better test scores. If your parents are poor, there's a chance you'll get um, much poorer test scores. And that is, to my mind, unacceptable in an advanced country. It's a waste of a resource um, because it means that only rich people get, 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 get the cream of the education system. Now, this has come along at the same time as the private school system in the last 20 years has been funded more and more and more, and in many cases more than 100% of what it deserves, and the state school system has been under-resourced. And what we're finding out here is that up in, in this election, this disparity, this inequity, is the policy of both of the major parties which are vying to run or rule our country. They actually have to decide whether or not they're going to contract out education to religious bodies or they are going to run a proper public education system that is comparable to that in Finland, the Scandinavian countries, Germany and all of the countries that are pulling ahead economically, not to mention China. And Singapore and Hong Kong and Malaysia and the Philippines and all the other countries who are near neighbours who don't make the mistake of making sure that poor people don't get an education. And in fact it, it's, um, it's also the theology of the market. They are contracting out the future of our children. Uh, and uh, when it gets to the, the, the tertiary sector, of course it gets even worse because they're putting our children into further debt. Uh, for the rest of their lives. So um, it, it is a really very basic um, principled issue, state aid to private schools. Are we going to have our education system contracted out? And it's going to cost a great deal more. It has costed us billions and billions and billions to force a few more children from 79% of our children down to 66%. Um, 79% were in public schools in 1978. Now we have about 66% in public schools. So with all of this principle of contracting out education at enormous expense into private schools, it has cost all those billions of dollars to make a difference of approximately 12% in enrolments. Just think about it. Mm. It's, it's, it's economic madness. It's crazy. Well, the problem is definitely not the lack of high-quality research or the lack of the right kind of research, nor is it the case that teachers do not have access to this research to inform their practice. Without a well-considered education platform developed in consultation with everyone involved, this kind of policy looks like a solution in search of a problem, rather than a welcome and needed response to a genuine educational issue. Everybody knows what the problems are. They're, they're dog's balls. Like they're just there. But neither political party are willing to address it. And there's reasons for that, which I'll come to. It's a bit like the climate action problem. I think we've got an awful lot of ostriches in Australia. Oh, I think education funding and the climate debate have very, very similar dimensions. In, 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 in the climate debate, there's this obvious problem. Like, everyone knows what the problem is. And everyone just jumps up and down about the minute details about how you get to a solution. How much money do we spend? Who suffers? Who doesn't? But the problem's still there. And the thing is, the, long as, the longer you leave it there, the more money you have to spend in fixing it up. <laughs> yeah, if, if the roof falls in, you have to replace the house, whereas if you patch it up now. I mean, this, this is the whole question of what's going on with the climate debate in Australia. Got to do something now. If you don't do it now, it's going to cost more into the future. 
Same thing with education. Either you solve the problem of equity and you solve the problem of, of equality of educational opportunity in Australia, or you don't, and we're not. And so therefore, at a certain point, there will have to be a radical solution, or we will become a poorly educated nation in the 21st century in a region where everyone else will not be poorly educated. It's not good for the country. Um, well, the people most affected by the unwillingness of major parties to imagine anything like a better future in Australian schools are, in fact, not me. I mean, I've, I've sort of had the vast majority of any education I'm going to get. It's actually the young people. It's actually the kids themselves. The same young people who are demanding action, again, at the moment, on climate crisis. They need an education system that will give them the best chance to fix the mess we're leaving them. Until uh, we can fully fund schools where the majority of them are educated in Australia, we are failing them at every level. The good news is that we still actually have 66% of our children in schools which are open to all, where they are still receiving a pretty good education, thanks to our teachers Indeed, and yeah. parents mm. too. I was quoting there from an article by Dr Deborah Haynes, and I think you've interested in this, Jane. She's the Head of School and Professor Education and Equity at the Sydney School of Education and Social Work. Her next book um, is actually a biography of Jean Blackburn. <laughs> that will be very interesting. Entitled Education, Feminism and Social Justice. So this is the same Jean Blackburn that um, Jean was referring to when she went to visit the Carmel Commission who stood there with a stony face saying, no, no, I can't, I can't solve this problem. She was, this, she was the daughter-in-law of uh, Blackburn lawyers who were... were um, what you call guild socialists in about 1917 and the 1920s. She herself started off, I think I was told, I don't know the exact truth of this, as a member of the Communist Party. But if ever a person, in my estimation, uh, was prepared to compromise, uh, then Jean Blackburn was it. But she was pretty good on the number crunching. Pretty good on, on the idea of social equity and so on. But she was the right-hand girl for Carmel. And they, in their terms of reference, they were not allowed to bite the bullet. Indeed. You've been listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast on the WWWs. We'll be back after this. Santa Concha, what the hell is a completo anyway? It's a Chilean hot dog, mate. What happens when lots of people get together and eat completos? It becomes a completada bailable. If you really want to experience a completada bailable and support our 3CR community, come to our fundraiser, Saturday 8th of June at Moreland City Bandroom, 16 Cross Street, East Brunswick, at 6pm. Come and check your culo with DJ Twin and DJ Otorongo and live music by Abe Danovitz, Little Chili and their mates. Limpiese la boquita que le quedó paltita. Becoming Trance by Dark and Twisted Soundscapes to 3CR's new weekly specialist music program, Midnight Mass, bringing you dark and forest side trance to the airwaves. Tune in for the driving bass lines, music reviews and guests from the local Melbourne side trance scene to talk electronic music production and news. Listen in for the debut of Midnight Mass on the evening of the 20th of May at midnight on 3CR Radical Radio, 855 AM. 
Welcome back to the Dogs Program on 3CR 855 on A&R. Oh, Midnight Mass sounds fun. I might start up for that. Yes, 3CR, we are a community radio station here, which means you don't just get us, you get all sorts of things. It's always great to hear other things that are going on in this wonderful, thriving milieu of 3CR. I think it's great fun. Um, look, we are the Dogs. We defend government schools. Uh, we have to defend government schools because everyone's after them. Um, the reason we do this is because every time there's an election that comes around, as, I've, as we've now discovered, both the Liberal and Labor Party aren't interested in talking about public education at all, which is disturbing to say the least. But there is one group of people that are very happy to talk about public education apart from us. And I want to talk about it in a sort of backwards kind of way. Now, for many listeners, um, you, I'm sort of repeating myself, for new listeners, I think it's really worth pointing out that in Australia we have an apartheid education system. We separate our children out. So we have three education systems. Actually, I take that back. We have four now. We have four education systems here in Australia. And the children are streamed and separated out. Now, the first thing that we look at in Australia when it comes to educating a child is they go, well, what religion are you? Because that's important in Australia. Now, you, you would think that we are a secular country, but we're not, and we haven't been for some time. So we have an education system in Australia which is paid for by the government, it's paid for by me and by you, which is a Catholic education system. So if you say that you're a Catholic, or indeed you are a Catholic, you can go to a Catholic school surrounded by Catholics and talk, talk by Catholic people in terms of Catholic doctrine, and assumedly you get Catholic maths and Catholic in, in English and Catholic sport and all that sort of thing, uh, because you're going to a Catholic school, all of which is paid for by the taxpayer, and you go over there. Um, your parents are asked to contribute as well, but that's a sort of cream on the cake in Australia. The school itself is fully funded by the government and extra funds are contributed to um, the education of a child by the parents themselves. So that's one of them. So that's the first test. If you're not Catholic, you can't go, of course, to a Catholic school um, or you're discouraged to going unless they want your money more than they want your, your principles. Well, there is a question um, as to whether or not these schools really are Catholic well, because they I'm, spent 26 I'm, days saying they weren't. Well, I'm, I can't. That's a, that's a separate question, Jane, and yeah. perhaps we can talk about that some other time. But if you're not... If, if you're indeed Islamic or, or, or you're in some other form of a Christian sect or you're a Hindu or you're a Scientologist or you're, an ethnic, you're, 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 you're a Brethren uh, follower, your parents are, you can go to a school which caters to your particular religious um, predilections or was it, that adheres to the peculiar tenets of your belief. And in going to that school, you will be subsidised, not just subsidised, the, the taxpayer will pay for you to do that. You will be separated out from from all the other children, from all the other religions going to your school. Um, there are two other systems um, which don't care what, religions, um, what, what, what religion you are. Um, the first system, of course, is the, the state school system. They don't give a damn. <laughs> um, they don't care. They don't ask. In fact, that's a really rude question in a state school as to what religion you are. Um, sometimes chaplains do it because we've got those, but that's a separate issue. But in a state school, of course... Um, it, it's open to all. In a state school system, they just don't care. The fourth system, by the way, and it's now becoming a system, it's a new thing in Australia, we have the selective state school system, which is to say that the only condition you have in getting into a selective state school is smarts, or indeed your ability to perform well on a test. So there are now selective state schools, which are separate in, in many ways from the rest of the state school system, um, which is quite sad. These are what I, what I call the, inverted commas, good state schools. 
Um, they don't care about your religion, of course. They just care how well you do on tests. And so, therefore, there is this now fourth um, education system, just for smart kids. Now, religion is not the only criteria in which children are separated out from birth, it seems, sometimes. Um, the other way they're separated out is how much money your parents earn. Because independent of religion, if, you're, if your parents earn a certain amount of money and they can afford to send you to what they call a private school, in that private school you can, have, you can be separated out from all the poor children. Now, private schools are obviously not state schools because state schools, as I said, free at point of entry and welcome. Everyone's welcome. Now, having said this, we have these a couple of criteria. One is how much your parents earn, and the other one is what religion are you? Now, for many years, because a, a religious private school, that is a school that takes money from parents and has very specific and peculiar religious tenets, they will say, yes, we will take taxpayers' money to educate the children, as much as the state schools get, but, and this is the big but, um, you can't be gay, but you can't be trans, but if you're a teacher in that school, you can't be divorced, but... We have peculiar religious tenets, which means that we can discriminate against you, the teacher, or you, the child. Now, it is in law in Australia that this is allowed to happen. It has been law for some time. It is called the anti-discrimination legislation. So, for instance, if I run a trucking company and I say, oh, look, I'm not going to employ gay truck drivers, someone can take me to court and say, you can't say that. That's actually breaking the law. But if I run a school and say, I'm not going to employ gay teachers, I'm allowed to do that because this is my religious proclivity. And the taxpayer pays the wages of the person saying that, and they pay the wages of all the teachers who are there who aren't gay or who aren't transgender or who, or who aren't um, offensive to the religious sensibilities in any sense of the people who are in that school. Now, for many years we at the Dogs, I personally have been championing this. I think, how can you, in all good conscience, give money to a school which breaks the law of the country? I say, oh, no, we can't, involve, we, we can't enrol your child because your child's skin has the wrong colour. We can't enrol your child because your child is of the wrong religion. We can't enrol your child because your child um, is showing tendencies to have a sexuality which is offensive to our religion. Now, if this were someone's home or if this were someone's, someone's private business, I suppose in many ways it's not my business. However, I am paying for these people in these schools and so therefore it is my business because I'm paying the bills. You are forcing me, because I'm paying, to agree with what these schools are saying. Now this has been going on for some time, but there's been a backlash. Ever since the marriage equality debate, people have woken up and said, hey, hang on. Hang on, if gay people can now be married, how come if people get married and they're gay, they can be sacked from a religious school? Which is what's happened, which is what is happening. So yes, it's the law of the country that two people of the same sex can be married, but it's also the fact that those people can be sacked from a private religious school because they've done so. And people say, well, we better change the law. We better make sure that these private schools can't be doing this because that's not right. This has been made now into an issue of religious liberty. But perhaps religious liberty really means that no taxpayer, no citizen should be forced to pay a penny 
for an institution which imposes religious beliefs on people. Now, the reason I've gone to this background is because something's happened in this current election, which I think gets to the heart of this. And that is to say that parents with children in Christian schools around the country are being urged to consider the protection of religious rights when they cast their vote. That is to say, notes are going home to parents in religious schools informing them about their religious liberty. Now, religious liberty is a code word. I mean, it's a nice thing to talk about, but as Jean just mentioned, religious liberty is the right to discriminate, the right to break the law. And so they are saying, these are the Christian schools of Australia, saying that you have to be careful how you vote in the current election because it is the most critical for religious freedom in living memory. Now, Christian Schools Australia, which are the organisation who have a very large number of members, all of which are Christians of some denomination or other, um, around the country, and they have taken the unprecedented step of urging parents with children at schools around the country to vote in the election according to their religious values. Now, the Flyer Centre Parents does not tell them explicitly how to vote. They're not that stupid. But it does say that, say that Labor indicated it would amend the Sex Discrimination Act to remove exemptions that permit religious schools to discriminate against students and staff. So the Labor Party has an explicit promise to say we are going to get rid of the right for religious schools to discriminate against students and to discriminate against staff based upon their religion because they are funded by me and by you and I shouldn't be forced to take an opinion about someone's sexuality when it's not my bloody business. <laughs> and if I'm a taxpayer, you're making it my business because you're taking my money. Now, the, the Religious Schools Association says it says these exemptions protect what schools can teach and their ability to hire staff and this is the key, this is their word, that have shared religious values and beliefs. If you don't share the religious values and beliefs, you can't obviously take a job in their school or they can sack you. It also says, and this is where they get a bit nasty, that the Greens have threatened the ability of schools to employ staff with shared beliefs, while the Liberal Party has said it would protect the right of freedom of religion and rights for equality and non-discrimination in law. I'll say that again. The Liberal Party has promised to protect the right to discriminate in law. Now, they're not telling you who to vote, but they're, but they're pretty much saying what it is that they want. Well, there's the question as to whether or not the Commonwealth can make any law concerning any religion, because that's what Section 116 says. The problem is that back in 1981, this very, very strong religious liberty clause in our Constitution was read down and out by six members of the Australian High Court in the Dogs case. And in that case, for 26 days, religious schools spent those days swearing black and blue. They took the oath, the witnesses, that their schools were no more religious than state schools. So they compromised their beliefs and they lost their religious liberty. But true religious liberty is in fact the right to pay for your belief yourself and not to force other people to pay for it. Um, And we all need, in this country, to learn to live together 
and to tolerate everyone else's beliefs so long as they don't disobey the laws of the country. So they're reframing their ability to discriminate with taxpayers' money as religious freedom, which is not surprising. That, that, that is what you would expect someone with a belief system or a value system like that to do. But it's interesting because this has been brought on by a man, a singular man. His name is Israel Falau. Israel Falau was a rugby player who had a contract with the people who run contracts for rugby in Australia. And Israel Falau said that if you're gay, you're going to hell. Um, I can't say it's a factual statement, but I can say it's a statement of belief, probably a sincere belief. I don't know what... Well, actually, I do have a pretty strong idea about what his beliefs are. I think it's a very sad statement because I think Israel Folau is is, um, modelling himself on either Jonah or John the Baptist, not um, Christ. I can't imagine that he will even begin to get into a theological debate about whether Israel Folau is right. I'm happy to. I'm not. I'm really not. I just don't care if Israel Folau is right. I know he's wrong. Um, but, but I think what is important is whether he believes it or not. Yes. And, like, you know, whether indeed people who are homosexuals or fornicators or adulterers all go to hell or not. Um, now, unfortunately, I think this is really interesting because what this fellow has done here, his name, by the way, is Mark Spencer, and he's the president of the Catholic Christian Schools Australia. He's saying it does matter. It's very important whether people go to hell or not. This is all about religious liberty. So don't vote for people. Don't vote for people who will stop you saying that or indeed using taxpayers' money to live out and act out those beliefs. He should be advising him to go to the High Court and test the High Court judges again. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe indeed that might happen once more. Um, but I think this is fascinating. This is a, a religious group who are petitioning the parents of religious schools to vote in a particular way based upon their religious values, um, triggered by a rugby player saying that homosexuals will go to hell, um, which I'm, I'm assuming that a large, people, a, a large number of people in the Christian population who are educating their children in their Christian schools agree with that statement. Now, if you make the assumption that a large number of schools around Australia are being paid, taxpayers made to educate children, and, and they agree with the statement that homosexual people go to hell. Now, I personally don't care if that's a fact or not. What I do care is how that affects people who are struggling with mental health, health issues, young people who are trying to work out whether where they fit mm. in some form of sexuality in in, in a school situation, a 13-year-old child who is conflicted about what they feel about the world and how they view their own sexuality has just been told, quite frankly, that if they think one way, they're going to go to hell. So um, I'm being told that in a school funded by taxpayers. I think it's inappropriate. I just do. I just don't think that's the right thing. And I do not think these people should have the right to discriminate and educate people being paid for by me and by you, and by indeed all the taxpayers. So this is an election issue that's been made by these, by, by these religious people. I mean, you, Eugene might say they're not Christian or they are Christian or theological. I don't even care. No, no, no. I'd, I'd say that a school is a place where young people learn to ask questions. They learn all of the things that our society has to give them, and they should be allowed to develop. And the, it is the only institution that we have where children can learn and develop at their own pace. And that's what our school should be about. 
Excellent. Thank you, Gene. Um, on that note, and I think it's a good thing, I think it's about time we start talking about something positive. Um, every week here on the Dutch Program, we talk about a great state school, and I found one. Yes, I found another one. They're everywhere, actually. And they're all great for different reasons. Now, before I go into this amazing school, I want to go back a couple of weeks to a school I was talking about a couple of weeks ago, which was the Swan Hill School. Remember that school up in Swan Hill? It had 80, stu- it had 80 students, had 35 teachers, it was educating kids at a cost of around about $45,000 each. And every child at this Swan, Swan Hill School had a severe dis- disability of one form or another. And it was run by you and me. My taxpayer's money was going to pay this, and I was very happy. I'd just like to point out, every time someone says that um, state schools are underfunded, or indeed sometimes they say they're overfunded, i just like to go back to that school, because... I don't care how much taxpayer money it it takes because the state school system is the only school system that runs that school like that. People talk about values and indeed religious values and the the ideas of charity and goodness and all that sort of stuff. When I go back to that thinking about that Swan Hill School, that is in fact we as a nation as a civilised group of people, spending whatever it takes to educate those 80 kids out there in regional Victoria who have severe disabilities in an amazing environment. Because they have a right. They do. And that is, it's, it's not a charity. No. It's not a kindness even. I mean, although I'm sure there's a lot of kindness goes on inside that school. It's not that at all. It's in fact their right. It's the right of the parents to be able to send their child to school and have the best education possible for their child with a severe disability. Full stop. End of story. How much does it cost? I don't know. Buy less fighter planes. Sort that stuff out first. And the only way you sort it out, of course, is with the state school system. So before I go on to this one I'm about to tell you about, which is actually just on the edges of Melbourne, out there at a place called Epping. Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the school. week. Great state schools. State, state schools. schools. School are of the week. Schools. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. <laughs> Epping Primary School is what we're going to look at today. They are an amazing school. Um, now, if you know Epping at all out there in the north of Melbourne, it's not it's not the swishest, swankiest place in all of Melbourne. Um, you know, it's it's an interesting place. I really I, I spend a lot of time there myself. Um, but it's not rich. In fact, this is not a rich school I'm talking about. Half of the kids come from the poorest quarter of Australians, that's in terms of their families. Um, there's about 320 kids there. And there's about 26 full-time teachers, two principals, um, and some education support staff. Um, it's a school community that's actually, has a, if you know Epping, has a very multicultural pro- profile. Mm. Like seven in ten kids come from a, um, a language background other than English, um, and three or four percent of them are actually Indigenous as well. Like it's really out there. It's a good school. The motto, I like the motto of this school, aiming for excellence. Don't muck around. I don't care where you come from, you aim for excellence. That's what all state schools do, and that's what this one's doing in particular. The purpose of the school, in their own words, is to provide a learning environment that's both caring but challenging and equip students with all the abilities and necessary skills and knowledge to become valued, productive and successful people. The following values are pivotal in the shaping and defining of what the school community and what they actually talk about themselves. They talk about themselves as respect... Differences. 
not respect yourself or self-love or well-being or anything like that. No, respect differences. And again, this whole sort of well-being, this is not about you know making sure you're developed as an individual. No, persistence. They talk about respecting differences and persistence. They talk about aiming to do the best you can do. They talk about commitment. They talk about caring. They talk about honesty. They talk about courage. And they talk about confidence. Old school. I really like this place. I'm sorry. The, 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 you know, personal growth and well-being, it, it comes from the soil of ideas like honesty, courage and confidence. These are the simple ideas upon which people's, people's ideas of themselves are built. And I like a school that gets back to basics and doesn't go away from it. The school itself is committed to continuous improvement. So you don't just do well today, you're doing well tomorrow as well. They actually have an emphasis, you think it's old school. No, they have an emphasis on inquiry-based learning. That is to say, problem-solving becomes part of the way you learn stuff on a day-to-day basis. To give students the skills to be competent and curious at the same time. Because if you're curious and not competent, you get frustrated. And if you're competent and not curious, that means you're a factory worker. And they're not training for those. They provide excellent reading, recovery and language support for students who have language problems who come to the school in the first place. So they don't just say, oh, pick it up as you go along. No, we will support you if you have those issues. They also have a comprehensive extracurricular program. They've got a rock band. They've got a choir. They've got music. And they got all sorts of stuff. Um, they have spe- they do visual arts, phys ed, computing, are involved in the social welfare education programs, and of course they promote alternative thinking strategies. So it's a strange mix of very new educational processes, and just the basics, which is caring, honesty, courage, and confidence. I think it's great school. I, I, I think they got a mix because often you find that these schools out at places like Epping respond to the needs of their community. This whole idea that state schools are this big homogenous, they're all the same, it's like an industrial you know, churning out machine. No. Epping responds to the needs of the kids in their school at that time. Now, how much does it cost to educate these, in large part, not rich kids? Because remember, in primary school, when it comes to... um. When it comes to educating people, the poorer the child, the more money it usually takes. So it takes around about $14,000 to educate a child in Australia to a gold standard per year. Taxpayers' money. $14,000 per kid per year is likely to get the average kid a good education. In Australia, if you're poorer, it takes more. And if you're richer, it takes less. So, Epping Primary School, they do it per year, per kid, a bit over $11,000. They're doing it on the cheap. Their results, their results are fine. Like, you know, when it comes to all the tests and all the nap plans, they're fine. Good teachers. Good teachers. Some of the results are excellent, but it's not worth talking about. They're just fine. They're not falling behind. They're reading and they're writing and they're doing all that. But more than that, they're competent and they're curious. And there's nothing more dangerous than a competent and curious kid. And quite frankly, I really like dangerous kids. (laughs) I think that's a really good idea. So congratulations. Our great state school of the week. I have to say this week, and I'm very proud to say it's Epping Primary School out there in Epping in the north of Melbourne. Congratulations. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. 
Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Harkaway Primary great School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really school. concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually, an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's who, that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the when weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a, a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words that is actually... So, so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses, refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long don't necessarily start off with a Positive great relationships with each other, with the teachers and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 94198377. State schools are great schools. Great state schools. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR and 855 on the AM Dial. It's been really good to have your company. Um, I just want to say that um, there's a lot we didn't get through, so I have to deal with it next week, I'm afraid, from overseas. Jean was going to fill us in on some charter school problems. Um, I know we've only got a couple of minutes left, Jean, but can you tell us what's going on with, and I use this very sarcastically, those poor misunderstood charter schools? Well, the politics of charter schools has changed because some Democrats, including Obama, by the way, were promoting them. Charter schools are private schools in the United States and they are run for profit uh, and uh, the state gives them money. It's a, um, it's a venture, if you like, a school venture, a private school venture for money-making and Betty DeVos loves them. But they're in trouble. The charter supporters are now wondering why no one loves them anymore and they're blaming the unions. And they've actually got good reason to blame the unions and they, are, they have bought it upon themselves because they pay their CEOs enormous salaries but the teachers are underpaid. And their level of self-scrutiny in Oakland is defensive and shallow. They have looked at how charter leaders from across the country are coming to grips with new limits on their growth and political clout. Uh, all around America, at the state level, they're not getting what they want out of the state governments. And there are signs that their anxiety is warranted, with charters losing support, particularly in the blue states, that's the Democrat states, and the cities, and among the Democrats themselves. Mm. Uh, so... They have been told that charter schools have got to go. The Oaklands Education Association gathered outside the conference hotel downtown in Oakland itself, was chanting, hey, hey, ho, ho, charter schools have got to go. And they are a leech on the public system. I've always said that in Australia, the private system... Uh, um, not a leeches, but mm. I've always thought that they were very close to it. And I find this very interesting that over in America, they're prepared to say these private schools are a leech on 
the public system. Well, of course they are. I mean, in America and England, by the way, the two other English-speaking large countries, it's worth pointing out, they have private schools, but in those private schools, if they charge fees, they do not get money from the government unless it's a charter school, which is a separate thing. But if they are a religious school, they have to enrol everyone that turns up at their door in England. If you are a Catholic school in England and someone turns up at your door and they're not Catholic, you have to enrol them. If you take public money. If you take public money. If you don't take public money, you can do what you like. But if you take taxpayers' money to run your religious school in England, you have to enrol whoever turns up at your door, which I think is fascinating because that's exactly what we're saying here in Australia to the religious people. And they're going, no, that's our religious liberty. Fascinating. But anyway, we'll have to do more on that next week. Um, and until next week, we are dogs and will continue to be so. If you want to check out what we're talking about, you can at our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. And indeed, you can get us on the West 3CR website. That's 3cr.org.au. And if you can think of a great state school, something you want me to talk about, you don't have to do the research, I'll do that. Just ring up. Tell me the name of the school and I'll jump on it as soon as I possibly can and you'll hear about it on the radio. If you know a great state school in your area, let me know. You can call the radio station on business hours at 94198377. That's 94198377. But I am going to tell you, um, 3CR doesn't happen by magic. I'm not sitting here in some sort of magic studio that's funded by nothing. Uh, 3CR is supported in large part not just by not just by me sitting here, so what about you? Because Radiothon is coming up in June, so please get your checkbook out. Not today, don't worry about that, but think about it in June when you're listening to 3CR. And until, of course, next week when we have to return, because we have to keep the fight going, it's bye for now.
Joe, you're ten years dead. 